What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. Today on Squawk Pod, a strong start to the fourth quarter. But what's driving our intermittent rallies? And will any of them last? The fear is making things better in a very perverse way. If you're excited about a Fed pivot, you shouldn't be. And a CEO survey. KPMG has the scoop on the C-suite's biggest concerns. The CEOs think that in large part a recession is coming almost unanimously. But it's not all bad news. KPMG's own CEO, Paul Knopp. Given all the economic uncertainty, the continuing confidence of CEOs in the prospects for growth over the next three years is a little surprising. Those stories plus an Elon Musk Twitter poll gone wrong, Theranos founder Elizabeth Holmes gets a new hearing, and office real estate is already suffering a hit, so we might as well go in less, right? We want Monday off or Friday off? Friday. Friday. It's Tuesday. October 4th, 2022. And Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. There are some very strong gains that are building up after that broad-based rally yesterday to kick off the month and the quarter. The Dow closing up by more than 760 points, or nearly 2.7 percent. It's back above 29,000. The S&P also surging 2.6 percent after falling Friday to its lowest level since November of 2020. Both of those indexes coming off their best single session since early summer. And again, the Treasury yields, the real story here, this is around the globe. You are seeing a pullback in those yields. The t- this all, though, just a sickness, I mean, a, a great perversion. All of a sudden, everybody thinks that actually the economy is so sick and so awful that the Fed has to realize and all these central banks have to realize that they have made it so sick. And so now they're going to make it less sick. And how many people have said that that's that what's happening? We're not going to we're not going to stop that the data dependent is not going to be inflation data. It's going to be fear data. Right. But that's what, but isn't that what's happening? The fear is making UK, things better in I, a very perverse well, way. We, Meaning we, people are so fearful that they say, oh, maybe now the Fed will get fearful. And if the Fed is less fe- is, is more fearful, I, they're going to do less. Understand. And therefore, I don't understand the stocks it. will do better. I don't understand it to some extent, because if you really think the Fed's going to stop at this point, it's going to be because they are concerned about market conditions. Right. And that's never a good thing. It's state. not a put, not, but not, not stock market conditions. The put's gone. The, the Fed put is gone, but, but market stability. I'm, I was with I was with a hedge fund manager last night who was literally saying, "Go from 75 basis points to 50 basis points, and that's his new expectation. And if that's the case, stocks move. I mean, that's what I'm saying. It's all oh, maybe only 50 though. Well, maybe it's of, only 50. Maybe it's 50 the next month. But, maybe whatever it is. But my point is, it's a function. But if you're of, excited about a Fed pivot, you shouldn't be because a Fed pivot is an indication that things are really messed up. That's okay. They, they, their job is done, and the markets told them their job is done. And, and uh, on delivering Alpha Day, but it's we sat there on delivering Alpha Day. We sat there and scratched our heads. 
we had this very scary situation in the UK and our stock market went up how much that day? And then Friday hit us just like a sledgehammer and, and new lows. Then you get Credit Suisse. And, and that's probably not going to turn into hopefully we hope, we hope anything. Not, but right. you add that into, okay, it happened over there, it happened here. And then that's the kind of data dependency. It's not a CPI or a PPI sure, or a but PCE. That should not, but I don't think that's a good sign. It's, and, a good sign, it, it's a good sign in that maybe that, remember the Fed, transitory, transitory, transitory. Then they went to, we're raising, we're raising, we're raising. I mean, they just need, you know, I think they need to be sort of led around by, uh, you know, it's got to hit them over the head. The whites of their eyes that the they had UN, to see. The UN has, they to, were this the far UN has to call for the central banks to, uh, to ease up. I've been doing what's that. Happening I, now. For a while, I have felt that way. And, 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 and that's not... The head of the World Bank said it a it, while ago. It, and it's not that I just want... See, because I think near-term and intermediate term, it'd be great if the Fed would stop. Long-term, is it really bad? And do we get back in the 70s, stop and start? That's what people are saying. But I don't think... I, how many, see, I think the labor market has got some weird dynamics to it. It may not hold up. We may get this. this is it Friday? Do we have it this no. Friday? Oh, is it Friday yeah, today? Fr- no, today's Tuesday. We have it Friday. We have the jobs number right. coming on Friday. So we, we will get an idea, probably. It'll um, be, they'll say it's an outdated view. It's a month old and things But it might have already happen. be slowing. What if it's not? Well, it, right. with the claims number, it wasn't last no, Thursday. No, it was not. And that's why well, we'll see. Meantime, uh, Natalie, invasion of Ukraine and Elon Musk now facing an intense backlash over his proposed solution to that conflict. Now, Musk, I don't know if you guys saw, posted a Twitter poll yesterday with his suggestions for ending the invasion, including Ukraine ceding territory to Russia, Tesla CEO facing severe scrutiny from Ukraine leaders, including uh, its president, uh, President Zelensky, who conducted his own Twitter poll, asking users if they liked Musk more when he supported Ukraine or supported Russia. It's a change for Musk, who had earned a lot of praise uh, in Ukraine after his Starlink satellite communication system allowed Ukrainians and the Ukraine military to bypass internet outages there. There was a couple of four-letter words that were uh, other proposed that by said, a number yeah. of other politicians and the like. Ukrainian politicians. Ukrainian politicians. I think there was uh, maybe someone in the EU as well who was... Uh, I, I saw a, a pretty, pretty spicy tweet. Pretty, from pretty spicy. Spicy is a good word. Spicy is a good word. There's a couple of... There was a lot of spicy reactions uh, to, uh, to his efforts. Folks thinking that he was more aligned with uh, President Putin than necessarily President Zelensky. A U.S. district judge has granted a hearing to former Theranos CEO Elizabeth Holmes that will determine whether she deserves a new trial. Holmes has accused the government of manipulating testimony from a key witness who testified against her. Oh, well, yeah, then. A totally different situation there. She was convicted on four counts of wire fraud and conspiracy. The hearing is set for October 17th and replacing her sentencing date, which will be delayed now until November if she doesn't receive a new trial. So what do top USOs and the C- US CEOs, I should think, say, think of a possible looming recession? According to the latest KPMG CEO survey of over 400 companies, 91% believe there will be a recession in the next 12 months, and only a third of them believe it will be mild and short. Joining us with more insights from the survey is KPMG's US CEO, Paul Knopp. And Paul, these are pretty concerning results when you hear that these CEOs think that in large part a recession is coming almost unanimously. Uh, Only a third of them think it's going to be mild and short. What are they doing as a result to kind of shore up for that? Because that could in some ways make it a self-fulfilling prophecy or make it worse. Thank you. Good morning. And yes, the survey certainly reveals that CEOs are concerned about a potential recession in the next year. 
And I think, too, you wait to think about the continuing risks that we're facing into. So we have supply chain disruption. We now have inflation, the continuing risk around cyber. I think there's some notes of optimism, too, in the report, Becky. You know, one that I would point to is 56% of CEOs are looking at significant M&A to continue their transformational growth agendas, along with continued investment in digital uh, technologies moving forward. And then, you know, while there is concern about a potential recession, the CEOs reported, the majority, vast majority of CEOs reported, they're very confident about their growth, growth prospects over the next three years, as well as the resiliency of their companies in the U.S. economy. Paul, I think the statistic that really jumped out at me is 51% are considering workforce reductions over the next six months in preparation for this recession they think is coming. What, what kind of workforce reductions are they planning? Becky, I think that, you know, we learned certain lessons during the course of the last two years. So, you know, the economy rebounded very quickly in 2020 after the recession that was at the onset of the pandemic. We lived through the great resignation. So CEOs are very uh, cautious about workforce reductions, but at the same time, they will consider them when costs need to be reduced because of a potential recession. I do think that we've learned though that people are our greatest asset. And I do believe that any kinds of workforce reductions will be very sector specific stories. And ones where CEOs will be thinking about trying to, again, be cautious about reduction of workforce. I think this gets to the heart of what the Fed is kind of trying to do right now, though, trying to slow the economy, trying to put it into what they would say is maybe a gentle recession. Um, but th this really gets to the heart of the matter. We, we're still looking at a very strong job market. Based on what you have heard from these CEOs, do you expect that to continue or do you expect to see weakness in the job market? And, and if so, how soon? Well, Becky, I think there remains a number of structural imbalances in the labor market. So you think about the baby boom generation retiring, some shortage of young talent and college enrollments, and certainly, you know, the incidences of long COVID, which are still presenting some problems. So the structural imbalances, I believe, are going to cause the labor market to continue to be tight. And I think most CEOs are facing into that tightness in the labor market. So I certainly think while the Fed will be trying to create some cooling of the economy to try to calm the corrosive effects of inflation, it, the job market may remain pretty tight going forward. 56% of the CEOs you surveyed said that they have a high appetite for M&A. What, what are they interested in? What do they plan on, on, on doing? Well, certainly we see that appetite for M&A, that strong appetite being present in the technology sector, various financial services sectors. So they are looking for opportunities to acquire workforce, to build their business. And we, we've seen this consistently over the course of the last two years that CEOs have this appetite to really try to transform their business over time. And the thing that we've seen during the course of the pandemic is that we've all tried to become more digitally enabled, more automation. I certainly believe that CEOs are looking for those kinds of opportunities. When you ask them about risks to future growth, what, what did they list as their biggest concerns? Well, CEOs certainly recognize the political uncertainty. We have the midterms coming up. We have continuing pandemic fatigue, uh, the risk from emerging technology and disruption, and certainly, Becky, supply chain risk, inflation, those remain prominent on CEOs' minds. And I, I thought it was interesting that you asked them about ESG. A lot of them think that ESG has helped their performance, but they're also considering stopping ESG or rolling back some of the pro some of some of those programs. Why is that? Becky, the survey reflected that 
CEOs are considering pausing during the recession, certain ESG initiatives. I think what's really important, though, is that CEOs and business leaders have recognized the commitments they've made around net zero, around diversity and inclusion. And we expect those commitments to be kept. We do believe that the forces behind ESG, which would be your customers who want to see more sustainable enterprises, your employees who want to work for enterprises that are more diverse and believe in sustainability and renewable energy, and investors and lenders are going to cause a climate where we certainly will be investing in our ESG programs for the long term. And I think that's also reflected in the fact that 70% of CEOs believe that ESG is improving their financial performance. But 70, would you say 59% said that they'd be pausing it for the next six months as they prepare for a recession? Is that because they're looking for any way to cut costs and this is going to be one of the first things to go? I, I do think, Becky, it's more about cost reduction in the very short term, but in the longer term, the recognition that ESG is improving their financial performance, certainly with uh, the ability to bring more customers in that believe in sustainability and also employees wanting to work for organizations that are very uh, sustainable in nature and that that are that believe in their diversity and inclusion agendas. What surprised you the most from the survey? You know, in some ways, Becky, given all the economic uncertainty, the continuing confidence of CEOs in the prospects for growth over the next three years is a little surprising. But certainly, I, I, I believe that if you think about the the weakness that Fred's trying to create to try to cool the effects of inflation, CEOs are thinking about how you take off really quickly on the back end of the the kind of downturn that we might have. So I, I don't think that that's really that surprising at the end of the day. We've seen over the course of the last years as we've done these surveys that CEOs have remained really optimistic about the U.S. economy and about the growth prospects for their own businesses. Paul, thank you. Paul Knopp from KPMG. Cheese will be next. Up next on Squawk Pod, where are all the workers? You're only really missing 20% of the people. No, you're missing more than 20% because you're not dealing with 100%, 70% as a whole. CNBC's Diana Olick on remote work's hit to office real estate. But don't worry, we've got the bottom line of the equation figured out already. I don't want to get into the math. (laughs) I'm a little scared of the math here. Mapping out the new normal's work week and what it means for the economies that depend on in-office workers. That's all when we come back. Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. You're listening to Squawk Pod with Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Here's Joe. 
Welcome back. Facebook and Instagram parent Meta Platform reportedly planning to close one of its New York City offices, and it looks as it looks for uh, new ways to cut costs. Look at Meta stock. They might want to look into that. According to Bloomberg, the company will terminate its lease at 225 Park Avenue and consolidate operations around Hudson Yards uh, and Penn Station. The latest cost-cutting measure follows the company's plans to freeze hiring and restructure some teams. Meta shares are off more than 60% from their uh, most recent 52-week high. Hence the <laughs> hence the 52-week high. It happened in the last 52 weeks. Join us now for a closer look at the demand for office space. CNBC's Diana Olick. Uh, good morning, Diana. These, I want. I'm I'm half full this morning instead of totally full. Uh, no, but I'm I'm ha- no I'm half full. I, things are trickling back. We got it's slow going. It's coming though. It's coming. Feel this way because of one day um, up in the markets. No, I just I, I just think we can't be in this new world forever. Some of the stuff we used to do. May, may happen again, maybe not quite as much, but i.e. working in an office. Well, so you're going to be half full and now I'm going to be half empty, right? Um, I guess. That's I'm why sorry I did to say that. New yeah. dem- sorry. Sorry. Look, new demand for office space fell for the third straight month in August. And that's according to a new report we got from VTS. It analyzes the top seven gateway markets. Demand was down 11.5% from July and is now below half of its pre-pandemic pace. This despite an uptick last spring when some companies orders ordered employees back to work. Now, this report tracks new tenant tours and is therefore an indicator of future leasing. Office vacancies are still well above pre-pandemic levels. All but one market in the survey of seven, that's right here in Washington, D.C., saw a decline in August demand. Markets seeing the biggest drops were, sorry, Joe, New York City, Los Angeles and Seattle down 23 percent, 14 and 14 percent, respectively. Now, Boston, Chicago and San Francisco saw more modest declines. No surprise, the office REITs are still hurting, particularly in NYC. Researchers at VTS say economic concerns around inflation and rising interest rates are fueling uncertainty, which in turn may be hitting office demand. But another report from Fitch that looks at how many workers actually go into the office showed a slight improvement. It pointed to a survey from the Partnership for New York, which found 49% of Manhattan office workers are currently at the workplace on an average weekday, and that's up from 38% in April. Of course, pre-pandemic, office utilization averaged around 70%. But, Joe, I'm going with that part of the glass is half full. Thank you. You'd have to have a screw loose to to rent new office space. But for what you've got existing, you're back to... That's not very half full of you. No, you got you're back to forty nine from thirty eight. What, what they want is the new new office space. They don't. I know, but well, space. if you built new office space in recent years, you're like, I don't know, you're worried probably. But look at all these guys who are doing it. I don't they understand. Still are, yeah. They're still doing but it. But we're not like ch- quite like China yet. All those empty buildings. They, they have stadiums. That, you know, I, mean, I don't know what they do. They these grow guys flowers. say that if you're a B or a C property, you're not going to get rented. If, only if you're a brand new. Right. Right. Property. The other piece, though, which I think is an important context that, that Diana provides. The truth is that most offices were only, you know, 
100% so, is yeah. really 70%. So yeah. we look at these numbers and we go, oh, mm -hmm. it's only 50%. And so you think, oh, well, that means that 50% of the people aren't there and they're supposed to be there. Right. You're only really missing 20% of the people. No, and you're missing more than 20% because you're not dealing with 100%. 70% as a whole, so it's more than 20%. Right. And it's going to take more But than you can't say it's not 100% that it is, 20%. We need to check it. it, more than it it's a slow build, it's Diana. It's a slow build. We need to check back in like a couple of years. I don't want to get into years. the math. <laughs> I'm a couple little scared of, of the math here. Right. I know, Probably fuzzy math, fuzzy math, it, but it, it's trickling. But in a couple of years, we may look back someday and say, okay, we're almost back to, to normal, or maybe not. Maybe, that, maybe people that say, you know, that it's really gonna be a hybrid, different. If we're gonna do it, Diana, if we're gonna do that, can we just go full on with the four day work week? I mean, let's just do it then. A lot you of know? places are at three day. No, let's three, go with three. four and not even work at home on the, oh, on the well, let's just go with the. kind of what's happening. And you know what, <laughs> I Diana? I think the let's... hybrid. I think when early in the morning, work from home, go into the office midday, work later at night, just work all day long, and then you could have the three-day work week, right? We have Europe GDP. Except in with news. Europe-style GDP, we don't, we don't, do we want oh, Monday I, off or Friday off? I think Friday. productivity is actually higher. Friday. Certain, Friday. Certain um, no, we want Monday off. Then you get to Friday, you have a three-day weekend. And then you only have four days the next week. And you only have four days the next week, Diana. It's a you double. You have four days each week, no matter what. Oh, that's right. Okay. All right, Friday then. Friday. All but right, Fridays Friday. feel good anyway. Yeah, because right? Thursdays are, are one of my favorites. Thanks, Diana. That's the podcast for today. Thank you for sticking with us. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Click, and Andrew Ross Sorkin weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. It's a full three hours, but if you want to get the smartest takes and analysis from that broadcast right in your ears, you know what to do. Follow Squawk Pod wherever you're listening now. Tell a friend, leave a review, send us a tweet on Twitter. We're at Squawk CNBC. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.